Hi there, food eaters. This is Mel Weinstein, host of the Food Labels Revealed podcast and the self-professed prophet of processed foods. Welcome to the podcast and this, the 17th episode. The topic for today is very timely and I hope you enjoy it. Get entertained along the way and maybe learn a few things. In today's show, I'm going to explore ice cream, America's favorite summertime treat. Here are some subjects that I'll touch upon. How old is ice cream? What is the official definition of ice cream? What's the difference between ice cream and a frozen dessert? What are some varieties of ice cream? And as usual, look at ingredients. I'll be using the national brand Briars for all the examples in this show, since that company pretty much has products for every variety of ice cream known to mankind. And as an, as an extra, there's going to be a giveaway at the end of the show. So stay tuned. For those new to the podcast, here's some of my history. I have a 30-plus year background in chemistry education, food testing, and food chemical research. And for many years, I've had a fascination, some may call it an obsession, with the processed foods we eat, what constitutes those foods, and what they could be doing to our health. This is the only podcast that I know of that is devoted to looking behind the processed food curtain at all of those strange, unusual, and sometimes dangerous ingredients that wind up in many of the foods on our grocery store shelves. This is a 100% guaranteed free podcast. It won't cost you a penny, and I will never beg for money. There are no sponsors or financial supporters. All the opinions expressed in this podcast are mine, and I refuse to help promote any business, commercial product, or organization. All I ask of you is to give me your time, which I know is a valuable commodity. You may not be aware of this, but July is National Ice Cream Month. This podcast is just getting published at the end of July, so I just made it in on time. Actually, I found out about the national designation only when I started doing research for the show. Like most people, I've been in love with ice cream ever since I can remember. As a kid, of course, I got super excited when I heard the ice cream truck rolling down my street. Hey, did you hear that? Hey, I gotta go. Be back soon. Oh, okay. I'm back. Man, that was great. Uh, Let's face it. Americans get quite a hankering for ice cream. On average, we eat 48 pints per year. About 1.54 gallons of ice cream and related frozen desserts were produced in the United States in 2015. About 9% of all the milk produced in this country goes to make ice cream. But what about worldwide? Which country eats the most ice cream per capita, per person? Here are the the top 10 countries not ranked in order. See if you can guess the number one country. Denmark, Sweden, Ireland, England, United States... New Zealand, Italy, China, Australia, Finland. I'll go ahead and repeat that list. Denmark, Sweden, Ireland, England, United States, New Zealand, Italy, China, Australia, Finland. 
And the answer is New Zealand. Surprised ya, didn't I? The USA is number two, however, followed by Australia, Finland, and Sweden. Here's one last question. Which state manufactures the most ice cream? Think carefully a moment. It's California. Kind of makes sense when you think about it since California also produces the most milk. Before getting to the ice cream products, I want to mention something about packaging. When I was younger, yes, way younger, I remember that ice cream cartons essentially came in two sizes, half gallon and gallon. Later, with the introduction of specialty and premium ice creams, the quart size was introduced. In those days, it was unusual to see small containers unless there were individual servings provided by places like school cafeterias or at kids' parties. Now we see pint-sized containers at outrageous prices. Seems that the ice cream containers keep shrinking, but the prices keep expanding. Many of the ice creams of today come in 48-ounce containers, which are one and a half quarts. I guess these smaller tubs take the place of the one-half gallon containers of the past. Someday we'll be paying $5 for a couple of spoonfuls of ice cream. Well, uh, I digress. Let's continue. Historically, ice cream in some form or another has been with us a long time. According to the author Charles Panati in his book Extraordinary Origins of Everyday Things, a type of ice milk was made in China about 4,000 years ago. Farm animals had begun to be milked, and the liquid food was a prized commodity. The nobility, of course, it's often the wealthy that get first dibs, dined on a cold, soft paste made from overcooked rice, spices, and milk, which was packed in snow to solidify it. In modern terms, that dish was more of a sherbet than an ice cream. By the 13th century in China, a variety of frozen desserts were being sold on the streets of Peking. Knowledge of these frozen desserts were brought to Europe by Marco Polo and a Tuscan confectioner by the name of Bernardo Buontalente. Excuse my Italian. But the recipes were kept secret and guarded by the chefs of the nobility. Only the well-to-do could afford the expensive underground storage vaults that preserved ice for summer use. The famous Catherine de' Medici of Venice introduced ice cream to the masses in the 1500s using sweetened cream and a recipe more akin to the modern-day product. Florentine confectioners began commercial preparation in the 1560s, producing solidly frozen full cream ice creams. Italian immigrants brought their ice cream making skills to England, and by the 1870s, Italian ice cream vendors were a common sight on the streets of London. In the United States, ice cream was introduced by Quaker colonists who brought their recipes with them to the new country. Confectioners sold ice cream in New York and other cities during colonial times. However, it was still only the wealthy class that could afford that indulgence. Among the famous were Ben Franklin, George Washington, and Thomas Jefferson. Here's something interesting. George Washington spent $200 on ice cream in the summer of 1790. Using an inflation calculator, that would be about $5,000 in today's money. I certainly hope he shared some of that ice cream. 
Ice cream came to the masses in the United States with the invention of the hand-cranked ice cream freezer, invented by Nancy Johnson in the 1840s. But then it had been known for a long time that the freezing point of water could be lowered by adding salt to it. So freezing milk and cream mixtures were much, was much more efficient using a bath of ice and salt water. Let's get to modern day ice cream. Here's what I saw during a recent trip to my local grocery store. Walking up and down the freezer section, and probably getting weird looks from fellow shoppers and store detectives, I counted 438 frozen desserts. Yes, you heard me right. 438. Yes, I was counting everything. Ice cream, gelatos, sherbets, sorbets, all varieties and flavors, low-fat, sugar-free, lactose-free, growth hormone-free, organic, treats on a stick, and small versus large containers. But still, isn't 438 choices a bit much? How does anybody ever make up their mind? And that wasn't all. Next, I went to the natural food section of the store. There I found 27 more dairy and non-dairy frozen desserts, some made from almond milk, coconut milk, cashews, and soy milk. I won't bore you with all the brands that I saw. If you eat ice cream, you've seen many of the same ones. For this show, rather than talk about several brands, I'm just going to stick with one national brand, Briars, which is probably available in most parts of the country. Briars has products representing most of the descriptions I gave earlier. So I'm going to look at examples of regular ice cream, a frozen dessert, and a non-dairy product. Notice that I said regular ice cream. I use that word for a good reason. In earlier episodes, I've mentioned that the federal government has required that certain processed foods have a standard of identity. They started doing that in the late 1930s, just after the Big Depression, to keep food companies from cheating consumers by substituting cheaper ingredients or diluting more expensive ingredients. So, ice cream has a standard of identity defined by our government. You can find that information uh, online. I'll leave a link in the show notes at podbean.com. The documents are not fun reading. They're full of governees and hard to translate, but if you're patient, you can probably figure out the gist of the subject. For ice cream, the government says that a manufacturer of regular or standard ice cream must, one, include at least 10% dairy milk fat, two, use a process with no more than 100% overrun, and three, have container contents weighing no less than four and a half pounds per gallon. Let's look at these one at a time. The requirement of 10% dairy fat means that the fat in the ice cream must come from mammals that lactate, and 10% of the total weight of the finished product must be dairy fat, at least 10%. The manufacturer, for example, could not use crocodile milk if there is such a thing. But they could use milk from cows, goats, sheep, water buffaloes, camels, kangaroos, tigers, tigers, etc. That's where the word regular comes in. If a package simply says ice cream, 
you can assume that it's a regular product and follows the standard of identity. If there's any kind of modifier on the label, like low-fat, sugar-free, lactose-free, etc., then the rules change, or there may not be any rules. If the rules for the standard of identity are not followed, then the product cannot be labeled simply as ice cream. It must have a different descriptor. For example, like frozen dessert. Are you still with me? If not, rewind the program. That was just number one. The standard of identity rule number two has to do with what's called overrun. Have you ever compared the weight of a gallon tub of ice cream versus a gallon bottle of milk? Try it sometime. Say the next, uh, next time you're in a grocery store. You should find a world of difference. The milk jug is much heavier. The reason is due to the effect called overrun. When ice cream is churned, air gets incorporated into the mixture, which expands the volume. Financially, it's in the best interest of the manufacturer to incorporate as much air as possible. After all, air is dirt cheap. Actually, cheaper than dirt. The incorporation of air in the ice cream making process is called overrun. When the volume of the ice cream mix doubles, then the overrun is said to be 100%, the government limit for regular ice cream. If a manufacturer has an overrun more than 100%, then they can't label the product as ice cream. Looking at overrun from the other side, premium or high-quality ice creams will have overruns less than 100%, for example, 60 to 90%, or even lower for super-premium brands. Now, overrun is not something you can figure out from the package label, so good luck with that. You'll just have to trust the company and your government. The third standard of identity rule has to do with weight, and that's pretty straightforward. In order to be labeled as regular ice cream, one gallon of the product has to weigh at least four and a half pounds. As an aside, note that a gallon of milk weighs about 8.6 pounds. By placing this minimum weight limit on ice cream, the government keeps ice cream makers honest so they don't fill up their products with gassy ingredients. Does this all make sense? I'll come back to standard of identity when I look at the Briars examples. Now, I've left some details out about the standard of identity because the government also specifically defines what constitutes reduced fat, light, low fat, and non-fat ice creams, but I'm choosing not to go there to keep this podcast from going way too long. With all that background information out of the way, we're finally ready to look at some ice cream. First, I'll take you back in history. The Briars Company was started as a family business in 1866 by William Breyer, who sold his ice cream from a horse-drawn wagon in Philadelphia. His son, Henry, incorporated the business in 1908. In 1926, the company got sold to a predecessor of the Kraft Food Company, and it remained in Kraft's hands until 1993, when the Breyer subdivision got sold off to the mega company Unilever. Breyer's early reputation as a high-quality ice cream with only a handful of mostly natural ingredients was gutted by Unilever, who wanted to make more cheap, competitive, and profitable products. 
Unilever replaced some of the natural ingredients with additives, so a large fraction of the Breyers line today cannot be labeled as ice cream according to the standard of identity. You'll, you'll see them designated as frozen dairy dessert. Hey, I think I hear a commercial. What's in your ice cream? Polly Shore Mono 80. All this stuff that a first grader like me cannot read. Now check out Briars in the Black Pack. Only milk, cream, sugar, and vanilla. Yum. This is the right ice cream. Briars All Natural. Taste, not technology. That spot was aired in 1997. Those were the good old days for the Briars product line. The Unilever company today makes a slew of Briars products. Really mind-boggling. Get this, there are 30 original flavors, which I think qualify as regular or standard ice creams. There are nine non-GMOs, no genetically modified ingredients. 16 blasts, which contain all kinds of additives and other brands like cookies and candy. Two non-dairy frozen desserts, 31 gluten-free products, two lactose-free four no sugar, two with half the fat, two fat-free, five with low carbs, 12 gelatos, and four high-protein and low-cal products. That's a lot. Let's start with plain old Briar's chocolate ice cream. Just seven ingredients on the label. Here they are. Milk, cream, sugar, dutched cocoa, whey, vegetable gum, and Terra is a specific one, and natural flavor. This stuff is more in keeping with the spirit of the original Briars Company with all the ingredients having a natural origin. For those of you not familiar with Dutch cocoa, most cocoa powder you buy in the store is processed using the Dutch method, which involves treating cacao powder with an alkalizing agent. Compared to untreated cacao, the Dutch cocoa is lighter in color, more soluble, lower in acidity, and has a milder flavor. Unfortunately, it's also lower in polyphenols, the nutraceuticals that provide some health benefits in chocolate. The only new ingredient in this list is terra gum, a white or beige, nearly odorless powder made from the seeds of the Calcipinia spinosa plant grown in Peru. I've talked about gums before in other episodes. Terra gum is no different in physical behavior than guar or locust bean gums, for example. It acts as a thickener and stabilizer. You probably won't find gums in premium ice creams. They are modern additives. For example, Haagen-Dazs Belgium chocolate ice cream does not have any gums in it. But, of course, you pay out the rear end for that kind of quality. Continuing with the Briar's ingredients, the list ends with the surreptitious and unknowable ingredient, natural flavor. Gotta keep those trade secrets. With the thousands of natural flavors available to food manufacturers, you can just take a stab at which one you think Briar's is using. Now, here's the big question. Does this product conform to the government's standard of identity? Well, first of all, how much milk fat does it have? The vast majority of fat is going to come from the milk and cream. According to the nutritional facts label, there are 7 grams total fat in a 66 gram serving. That's one half cup. 
that equates to 10.6% fat, which is more than 10%. So it looks like the standard is satisfied. What about the weight per gallon? There are 66 grams in a 4-ounce serving. Dividing 66 grams by 454 grams, the amount of grams in a pound, gives 0.145 pounds. Dividing 4 ounces by 128 ounces in a gallon gives 0.0313 gallons. So now we divide the weight in pounds by the number of gallons. So dividing 0.145 pounds by 0.0313 gallons gives 4.63, which exceeds the minimum of 4.5 pounds per gallon established by our government. Looks like this stuff is really ice cream. Before moving on, here's a side comment on portion size. Breyers lists a half cup as the serving size. Who do you know eats only a half cup of ice cream at a sitting? Maybe a toddler? Food manufacturers purposely diminish the serving sizes of their processed foods to downplay nutritional concerns. Whenever you see unusually small and unrealistic serving sizes, get suspicious. In this case, the food is a dessert, so nobody in their right mind would expect this product to be healthy and nutritious. But still, Breyers felt a need to play down the serving size. Why? I think they're wanting to avoid criticism about the nutritional quality of the product. What would be a more realistic serving size? Maybe one and a half cups? A regular bowl full? According to the Nutrition Facts label, if a person ate that much ice cream in one sitting, they would be getting 420 calories, 33% of the daily total fat allowance, 69% of the daily saturated fat allowance, 21% of the daily cholesterol allowance, and a whopping 48 grams or 3 ounces of sugar. That doesn't look good, particularly the high percentage of saturated fat. A popular line of Breyer's ice creams are the ones called Blast, frozen dairy desserts. This illustrates a modern trend in the processed food industry. One big player joins forces with another big player to mutually benefit one another. Let's take a look at Hershey's Caramel Kisses. Here the Unilever company partners with the Hershey company. Hershey Candy helps sell the ice cream. I call it MAP, M-A-P, Mutual Assured Profits. They can't go wrong. Keep people get both their candy and their ice cream in the same product. Actually, they stole this idea from Dairy Queen, who introduced blizzards way back in 1988, in which customers could combine their favorite treats with soft-serve ice cream. Here are some other examples of blasts. Girl Scout Cookies Thin Mints, M&M's Brand Chocolate Candies, Oreos Cookie and Cream, Snickers Bar, Reese's Peanut Butter Cups, Mrs. Fields Chocolate Chunk Cookie Dough, and Sarah Lee Strawberry Cheesecake. Let's get to the ingredients in Hershey's Caramel Kisses. Warning. Hold on to your seat. We have milk, 
corn syrup, sugar, caramel swirl, which consists of sugar, water, corn syrup, high fructose corn syrup, non-fat milk solids, butter, cream, salt, molasses, pectin, soy lecithin, natural flavor, potassium sorbate, sodium citrate, lactic acid. Let me get my breath. And then we have milk caramel kisses candies, which consist of milk ch- chocolate, which is cane sugar, milk, cocoa butter, chocolate, milk fat, soy lecithin, natural flavor, sugar, corn syrup, coconut oil, sweetened condensed milk, which has milk and sugar in it. And then we have non-fat milk, whole milk, heavy cream, Dutch cocoa, butter, which is cream and salt, cocoa, soy lecithin, salt, natural flavor, cream, and contains 2% or less of the following whey, mono and diglycerides, vegetable gums like guar, carabine, terra, then there's carrageenan, natural flavor, and finally it ends with vitamin A palmitate. Now, if you don't count water and vitamin A, there are a whopping 46 ingredients in this product. It's a food chemist amusement park. Dairy products, like milk, cream, butter, show up 13 times, and sugar components show up 11 times. Notice that Breyers flat out calls this product a frozen dairy dessert. There's no pretension about calling it ice cream. Let's verify that it doesn't meet the standard of identity. The nutrition label says there are 4.5 grams of fat per 62 grams of product. That equals 7.3%. Even if all the fat came from cream, that wouldn't make the 10% requirement. What about weight per gallon? Dividing 62 grams by 450 grams per pound gives 0.137 pounds. Dividing 4 ounces by 128 ounces per gallon gives 0.0313 gallons. And finally, dividing 0.137 pounds by 0.0313 gallons gives 4.38 pounds per gallon. Well, that doesn't cut it. It doesn't make the 4.5 pounds per gallon standard. So, no matter how you look at it, Briars can't legally call this product ice cream. I'm not going to comment on the individual ingredients since I've covered them numerous times in previous episodes. However, I will say two things. One, of the 46 ingredients, 26 of them are partially or highly processed. That's 57%. This stuff is a far cry from natural, and anybody eating it should give themselves pause. Two, Notice the use of vegetable gums. There are three of them in this product. And there's also carrageenan, a seaweed derivative, which you know provides similar properties of thickness and stabilization. Remember that earlier I, I mentioned that the lower quality ice creams rely heavily on gums to mimic the properties of dairy-based ice cream. The last Breyers product to discuss falls in the non-dairy category. This subject is very important to me. In the mid-1980s, while on the road, I had an unfortunate gastronomical encounter with pizza and ice cream. It was an intestinal nightmare. I had known for years that I had diet-related issues, but I hadn't put two and two together. The problem, of course, was lactose intolerance. In those days, 
with no internet to turn to, that condition was not exactly common knowledge, and I don't think that I talked to any doctor about it. I just put up with it for the occasional discomfort. But after that incident, I really couldn't ignore the problem any longer. So, at the tender age of 35, I decided to give up breast milk. No more ice cream, milkshakes, or sundaes for me. Trips to Baskin-Robbins were over. For frozen desserts, I was limited to fruit sorbets, which weren't very available, and the occasional frozen yogurt, which I could handle better. Unless you're of Northern European descent, most of the people of the world have lactose intolerance to some degree. It's a mother nature thing. Once we leave childhood, most people's bodies begin to slow down or stop the production of lactase, the enzyme which breaks down lactose or milk sugar. According to Mother Nature, after toddlerhood, we shouldn't have a need to drink breast milk from humans or any other mammals. That beverage was designed to nourish, sustain, and provide growth for infants, particularly for baby cows. As people get into their teenage years and lactase production slows down, the body has difficulty getting rid of lactose, and as a result, intestinal distress occurs. The people of Northern Europe fare better than most because they were drinking dairy for thousands of years, and genetically, they evolved to continue lactase production even after puberty. It was an evolutionary survival thing since milk and milk products could be stored all year long in colder climates and provided a food source in the winter. Now, back in the mid-80s, there were no non-dairy frozen desserts other than sorbet, so I had to wait quite a while before I could eat ice cream again. But what about lactase pills? Yeah, I hear you. Those were available, but for me, they really didn't work that well. Plus, taking them had to be timed just perfectly. Fast forward about 30 years, and now the markets are full of non-dairy alternatives that use plant-based milks. There are several dozen companies, local and national, making these products. A few years ago, Ben & Jerry's jumped into the trend with a handful of flavors. I think they were the first big ice cream company to venture into that line. This year, Breyers decided to climb on board with two entries. Let's take a look at one of them, Breyers Non-Dairy Vanilla Peanut Butter. By the way, I haven't tried this stuff since, as far as I know, it's not available where I live. It's made from almond milk, so nut allergy people beware. And the ingredients are non-GMO, which is a good thing. Here are the ingredients. Almond milk, which just comes from water and almonds. Liquid sugar, that's sugar and water. Peanuts, coconut oil, corn syrup, less than 2% of pea protein. Vegetable gums, that's carabine, guar, and then mono and diglycerides, peanut oil, salt, and natural flavor. There are, there are a total of 14 ingredients, but if water is not counted, then there are only 12. That's not bad for a processed food. Compare 14 to the 46 in the Blast product. There are only two synthetic ingredients, corn syrup and the mono and diglycerides. Recall that the latter chemicals are used as emulsifiers, agents for mixing water and oil. Breyers even reveals the natural flavor that's used, coconut. 
That's really breaking the rules. Way too much honesty for a big food company. Then there's pea protein. How exciting! Another new ingredient for the podcast. Now, don't get alarmed. P in this case is not spelled P-E-E. I'm talking about P-E-A. Pea protein has gotten popular in recent years, particularly in the faux meat industry. Many of you uh, probably are thinking, do peas really have protein? Sure they do. Sweet peas have about 3.2% protein. By the way, I got that figure from the United States Department of Agriculture Food Composition Database, a really useful online source for nutritional information. Check the link in the show notes for this episode, uh, and you'll find a way to locate that database. Now, how do you get pea protein? I'm not sure how it's made industrially, but here's a WikiHow recipe. One, rinse dried yellow peas under running water. Two, soak the peas in water overnight in a glass container. Three, drain the peas and rinse again. Four, Sprout the peas using a seed sprouting procedure. 5. Dry the sprouted peas at about 115 degrees. And 6. Grind the peas into a powder in a food processor. Pea protein has some benefits. It can delay or prevent the onset of kidney damage in people with high blood pressure and can also reduce hypertension. Finishing up with the non-dairy ice cream, I'm not going to say much about the nutritional aspects of the Briar's product. Again, it's a dessert, not meant to boost your health, though it does have the usual culprits like lots of fat and sugar. However, there's no cholesterol to clog your arteries. That sound means it's time to check out a new grocery store item. You won't believe what I found. It's a new snack called Farmhouse Culture Kraut Crisps in dill pickle. What a name. I haven't tried this product yet, but it sounds intriguing. First of all, for a processed food, it comes with some good credentials. Organic, non-GMO, vegan, gluten-free, dairy-free, and fair trade. Here's how the company Farmhouse Culture describes this product. These dill pickle kraut crisps offer the perfect balance of vinegar, dill, and garlic. They are the perfect addition to your lunch, but equally as satisfying right out of the bag. With that crunch and familiar tang, you might just think you grabbed an actual pickle spear out of the jar. Here are the 13 ingredients. Sauerkraut, corn flour, vegetable oil, brown rice flour, sea salt, dill, garlic, vinegar powder, inulin, a bacteria culture, black pepper, cayenne, and dill oil. Yes, you heard me right. The first ingredient is sauerkraut. Even though healthier than most snacks, these chips still pack a load of fat. 40 grams in a single 5-ounce bag. Plus, if you eat the whole bag at one sitting, you'll consume 45% of your daily sodium limit. If you do come across these chips, let me know how you like them, or even if you like them. So, that's it for this show. I hope you enjoyed it and learned a few things along the way. Maybe you'll be a little more deliberate in your choice of ice cream products. They are not all created equal, and some will do your body better than others. Read those labels. 
Pay attention to your intestines if you have trouble with dairy consumption. Consider switching to non-dairy alternatives, which are generally better for you anyway. To all you food eaters out there, thanks for listening. If you could leave a review, good or bad, at the iTunes store, I would greatly appreciate it. You can find all the episodes at Food Labels Revealed at the hosting website called Podbean. That's at www.podbean.com or by searching online for the title Food Labels Revealed. And of course, you can listen to the podcast on your smartphone or tablet wherever podcasts are found. Lastly, there's a book giveaway this week. The lucky winner will receive a used hardback copy of The Hundred Year Lie, How Food and Medicine Are Destroying Your Health by Randall Fitzgerald. Just send me your name and email address to enter the contest. I'll randomly pick the winner on August 5th, 2017. So get your entry in by August 4th. Contact me at foodlabelsrevealed at gmail.com. That's all one phrase, foodlabelsrevealed at gmail.com. Also, if you have a question or comment on anything about food ingredients or this podcast, feel free to drop me a line. Until next time, take care, and if you want to eat well and keep yourself healthy, eat food mainly from natural plants, not manufacturing plants.